0: Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. You ready? Thanks for tuning into the 34th episode on May 25th, 2021. Let's talk about landscape design and plants, part one. Not only can you listen to the podcast, you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC, And go check out the blog posts that are associated with all these podcasts as well. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to this podcast, my blog, and social media posts. You can also help support your favorite podcasts and blog by joining me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts early access to podcasts and exclusive content. And if you just can't get enough Houseplant Homebody, don't forget I send a monthly newsletter on the first of every month with also exclusive content and some updates on what happened the previous month. All right, let's dive in. So as you've probably been following me through this journey with Houseplant Homebody, you also know that I have a huge passion for landscape plants plants in general, house plants, landscape plants, whatever form they come in, I will take them and love them forever. So, landscape plants were my first love because in the garden center that is the majority of the work and the plants you work with. You're working with annuals, perennials, shrubs, trees, and I was really encouraged to learn all of that stuff way before I even got interested in house plants. So, the initial drive for plants, is because I never had a yard I was always renting. So, I could never experiment with landscape plants. So, I experimented inside with house plants. So, that's kind of that background. I talked about a little bit when I talked about how Houseplant Homebody started, but this podcast is specifically going to be about landscape plants. And as you probably know by following me on Instagram or Facebook, you know I'm currently living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where my hardiness zone is 5A. So, I'll be talking about plants that are directly Related to this area, but a lot of these plants do extend to several different hardiness zones So make sure you check it out for yourself to see if it will work in your area I linked the USDA's website to see which hardiness zone you're in so you can go right to the blog To check that out, but if you just type in hardiness zone, the first website that comes up is the USDA So as I worked in the garden center, they had encouraged me to learn the different perennials shrubs, and trees mostly because that is what people come in for and ask the most questions about. I was the one in charge of pricing and tagging everything and it really got me familiar with all the different plant types by looking at the name, looking at the plant over and over and over again. Within a year, I was actually able to advise people on plants, but obviously if I worked there more and more years, it kind of came naturally. So, I really love it. I still love it to this day, and as you probably saw on my Instagram and Facebook pages, I have been helping my friend Ty with the landscape design, and it's just been fun to get back into it. Last year, I did my sister's landscape, and this year, I did Ty's landscape, so it's been a lot of fun, and I miss it, so it was fun to redo it, and it was fun to get into this too. I had a lot of interest on people learning about this a little bit more, and I did record a couple of specific landscape plant podcasts last year but I thought I would do kind of an encompassing landscape plants and design podcast, a couple parts to it. That way I could talk a little bit more generally about it. So, this is where we're at. So, we're going to talk about a few different things. We're going to talk about the different types of landscape plants. We're going to talk about how you choose which plants you should have in your landscape. And then I'm going to go over a very high level of plants. So, There are obviously thousands of different plants on there to choose from, but I will be talking about a few and on the blog I listed several as well that you could think about for your own landscape if you are within the hardiness zones or just looking for a new idea. The next podcast will be more specifically to the issues people might run into and how to solve those issues and talking about specific design qualities. So, this is going to be kind of an overview. The next one will be more detailed. So let's talk about the different types of landscape plants, at least according to horticulturists that work at garden centers. So to me, in working at the garden center, I categorize plants in about six different types. The first type is trees, and then it's shrubs, perennials, annuals, tropicals, and bulbs. So trees I mean, pretty self-explanatory. They're anywhere from medium to extra large landscape plant material that that can be used in several different functions, such as privacy screening, just wildlife habitat creating, shading even, food if you're looking at an apple tree or something, or even just a focal point. And you can buy these anywhere from big box stores to local garden centers. Some places sell them bare root. Most places will sell them potted or bald and burlapped, which is also called B&B if I ever reference that again. It all depends on really your budget, the impact you want right away up front, and really your capability of moving the plant material. So, some people don't realize how heavy plants are, especially if you have a bald and burlapped tree that's being dropped off at your house. It can be so heavy that two people cannot move it. So for example, a two-inch maple at Breezy had to be lifted by a skid loader and then there was potential that two people could roll it to the hole it needed to get to. So that's just something to keep in mind if you are buying trees. Most of the time, a lot of landscape companies or garden centers can move it for you. It is expensive, but that is a possibility Then you don't have to do anything or break your back to do it. Or if you're okay with waiting patiently for trees to grow big, get the potted ones. They're a lot easier to move if they're like in a 15-gallon or smaller because if you buy like one in a 25-gallon, you might as well buy a ball and burlaped one. They're like the same size and it's like a pain to get them out of the plastic. (laughs) Sorry, minor tangent. Anyway, so that's the first one. The next one is shrubs, which some people get shrubs, trees, perennials all confused. I don't think there's a right way to describe each of these sections. This is just how I have always categorized them and how I really learned to categorize them. So shrubs are really anywhere from small to large landscape plants. Mostly used for curb appeal, wildlife, or privacy screening. And most of the time you're buying these potted or bald and burlapped, really anywhere you buy plants. This is where you can get fun with it because the foliage types and the flowering types really expand when you get to shrubs. And this is something that you can use for privacy if you don't want a giant tree in your yard, but you want something. So, that's like the next step down. So, the next one is perennials. So, these are typically smaller growing plants that actually die back in winter, like fully. There's no stems or branches for these leaves or flowers to grow off of the following season they store all that energy in their roots, and they save it for the following spring to push up new larger growth. So, if that explains perennials a little bit. Overall, they grow a little bit smaller. So, I think the biggest perennial I've actually seen is ornamental grass, which I consider it a perennial. Some people categorize it on its own level, but I've seen a perennial grass getting around six feet tall. And like hollyhock, the stalk can grow up to five feet. So there's just a couple plants that do get pretty tall, even though it dies all the way back to the ground. My favorite that I did a podcast on is Baptisia. That looks like a giant shrub, but it's not. It's a perennial and dies all the way back. So that's just a couple examples. I'm kind of jumping ahead because i am going to talk about this stuff but whatever so overall they grow a bit smaller there are perennials that stay you know like two inches tall so it just varies widely and obviously these are really used for those fillers accents curb appeal wildlife is definitely something people use perennials for these flower heavily and at different points in the season so people love to use them for butterflies bees and just nature in general And some of the larger ones, like even the grasses or baptisia, can be used as somewhat of a privacy screening as well or just to hide something that you don't want seen. The next one is annuals. So, annuals are small, typically almost always flowering unless you're getting foliage-based annuals, obviously. And it just adds constant color to your property during this late spring, summer, into fall. Garden centers start usually selling these in April, but with the chance of frost all the way into May sometimes, it's best to wait until mid May to actually put these outside full time. But if they're left outside in the winter when it gets too cold, they will die back, and if you leave them there, they will not come back. So I always say, people always get annuals and perennials confused. I always say, annuals get planted annually. That's how you remember that that's the one you have to replace every year. (laughs) So Annuals can be really fun because they add a lot of color, and that's most of the time what people are using in their planters in the front of their house. And you can switch them out. In really early spring, there are cold-tolerant annuals that people sell, like pansies, for example. And then in summer, you get your bright, beautiful colors of petunias, salvia, snapdragon, begonia, all of those really bright, bright colors. And then in fall, it transitions into chrysanthemums, asters, some salvia. It really just depends on what you decide, even pansies back then because pansies really like cold weather, but anywho. So, annuals, constant color in this spring and summer into fall, but will die back in the winter. There are some annuals, or honestly, probably most annuals, if they bring them in in winter, they will survive, but typically annuals are on the cheaper side, so people will replace them year to year and try to get new things. But for example, my mother in law has had this geranium from when my fiance was like in middle school, and she still grows it in a pot in the winter and then she brings it back outside in the summer. So you can definitely grow them inside. Okay, the next is tropicals, which is actually the perfect example of annuals that can come back when you bring them inside in the winter. So, obviously, commonly called houseplants. But they're actually a wonderful way to spruce up your outside along with your inside. So people always forget that tropicals aren't just house plants. You can add them to your landscape. Botanical gardens do an amazing job of this. They have the resources and the people to maintain it. So that's why. But you can honestly plant a couple bananas in your landscape in the middle of summer. And it will look amazing. All you have to do, though, is dig them out in the fall if you want to keep them. I've seen people use palms as well. You could even do smaller plants like you could grow pothos. Obviously if you're in a cooler temperature this makes sense. If you're in like Florida don't do that because they're invasive but um, you can put like pothos, you can put philodendron, anything in the soil and then as long as you just bring it back in in the winter it will survive. So Tropicals are a great way to add color and add drama to any planter or landscape as well. The last one is bulbs. There are spring and fall bulbs in regards to planting times. So if you're seeing bulbs being sold in spring, that means you should be planting them then, or at least in spring in general, and they'll be blooming in summer. If you see bulbs in fall, like late fall usually, when the soil temperature is a little bit cooler, that's when you plant those. So, we'll I'll list a few of them off a little bit later, but... So, when you're planting bulbs in the spring, typically those are more of your annual bulbs that are not perennial, will not come back year to year, but you can bring them inside and save them. And then there are your fall bulbs, which are most of the time perennial, that will come back year to year. Example, tulip, daffodils, that kind of thing. So, that's bulbs. All right, let's go into a little bit more detail on how you should actually be choosing what plants you should be using in your landscape. So there are several things to consider when actually choosing plant material, just to name a few of them, functionality, sunlight, moisture and what you actually like are my top four. Functionality goes into a ton more detail. So basically there are several things based on your needs around your landscape and around your property that you have to think about when planting. So, privacy screening was probably one of the most requested things at the garden center. People either didn't want to see their neighbors or didn't want their neighbors seeing them. So, and you have to consider whether or not you want year-round screening with evergreens. Or if you're fine with just having screening when it's nice outside and have the deciduous shrubs or trees that all the leaves fall off in the winter. You can create a privacy screening definitely with trees, definitely with shrubs, and sometimes perennials. But you just have to make that decision of how long you want the screening for and how much of it you want. The next one is wildlife. So obviously, if you're trying to encourage animals to develop their habitat in your yard, doing so, you can definitely do some with trees, obviously trees, shrubs for sure. The flowering side of things can help bees, birds, butterflies. There are berries on some trees too for birds, general habitat there. And then perennials really focus honestly on hummingbirds, butterflies, and bees. So there are so many different plants out there that you can focus on. And that's a really requested one as well so we try to help people pick plants that nature really loves and animals really love another thing to think about is shading this doesn't come up very often but it's honestly a good way to naturally reduce your ac costs in your house so if you have for example a gigantic window that's on the south side of your house That is going to be the hottest side of your house and it is just blazing in summer. Like my parents' house, the whole front of the house was on the south side and it was pretty open. There was only one wooded side that kind of blocked part of the house, but it was pretty hot in the summer. If you wanted to shade that, you could plant a tree in the front and block a window or block any part of it just to get it out of direct sunlight and really reduce the amount of heat that's getting into your house. So, that's not as requested, but it's just something to think about. Another thing that people do want and depends on if you're up for the challenge and it's a little more maintenance, but if you want to sustain your yard, sustain yourself, your diet, your family with the food that you get from your yard, obviously not all of it can most of the time, but you would get apple trees, plum trees, cherry trees. You can get blueberry, raspberry plants that are all perennial. And then obviously planting your garden with your herbs, vegetables and fruits in the spring when they come out. But that is another thing to think about. If you don't want that, then that's not something you should probably do because fruit trees can have very high maintenance. They can attract pests as well. So that's another factor just to think about most of the time. You're not really gonna be looking at an apple tree for decor. You're gonna be looking at it for specifically that function. So a garden center employee is not gonna bring you to the apple trees unless you ask for it. (laughs) And then curb appeal is probably the second most requested with privacy screening, honestly. Most of the time people just want it to look nice, but at the same time they get what they want. And that's the harder part. So not only are you adding value to your house with choosing plants in general to add curb appeal, you can honestly choose any plants to cater to your own style. Any experienced garden center employee or horticulturist can walk you through some ideas. At least at Breezy, we did that. I didn't run into a ton of places that could like sit down and design with you besides Breezy. They probably should be charging for that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> That's what I really like doing. It's just sketch design. It's not really landscape design with software or anything like that, but if you like monochromatic colors and you want all pinks and all reds in your landscape, then you can do that. If you're, you want wild colors, everything blooming everywhere, you can do that. If you want a very uniform landscape, you can design around that concept. If you want a very native landscape, you can design around that too. So, it really just depends on your style when it comes to carb appeal. No matter what, adding plants in general and maintaining them will increase your value of your home and obviously look better to the people driving by. And the last functionality thing I had is environmental. And I think I'll get a little bit more into this in the second podcast that I plan on doing, the part two one. But some questions to just for like, really think about are are you planting near a road where salt may affect your plants because salt could kill some plants so you really want to keep that in mind are you planting along concrete or asphalt in general a patio or driveway that gets super hot in summer this can damage some delicate plants that do not like being scorched so also something to keep in mind another common thing do you have deer that come into your yard that like to eat new plant material That is also a big issue that I've run into, but Breezy was in Kenosha County out in the boonies a little bit, so we had a lot of people that had more property that came in asking for plants like that. Or not just deer in general, but like animals in general. So, do you have a lot of rabbits that come into your yard and wreak havoc on your plants? So, it's just other things to think about. You know, one thing people kind of forget is if you have slope in your yard, some plants don't work. The soil runs down, it's not going to hold. You want a plant that will survive kind of drought tolerant environments. In that case, are you going to be mulching or using stone around your plants? Stone heats up a lot faster. So you want to make sure you're choosing the right plant material for that. What type of soil do you have? If you have clay, clay soil, or you have loamy soil, sandy, really rocky soil. What kind of soil do you have? Because that could also determine what kind of plant material you're using. A lot of times if you have really thick clay soils, or you have rocky soils, there are plants that obviously will work better with those environments, but you can also add a compost layer. Usually they recommend a one to three, oh, I'm sorry, One part compost, two parts your existing soil. That way the roots can get a little bit established and get used to the soil they're gonna be growing into without being shocked and not being able to grow into that, for example, really clay soil. So those are really good questions to address. I'll really go into more detail in the second podcast, but these are all things to remember and think about when you're designing your landscape or working on designing your landscape or just choosing plants in general. Most of the time, people should be able to help you with the garden center. If not, plants should have all of that information of sunlight, moisture, all that good stuff on the tag. And if not, just search the name of the plant online and it will come up. All right, let's get into the other three, sunlight, moisture, and what you like. So, for sunlight, it's really good to understand your cardinal directions, obviously, but as long as you know where the sun rises and the sun sets, you're probably good to go. So, that's the first component, really, to choosing plant material. If you don't have the correct sunlight, things won't bloom, things won't grow to their potential. Just like choosing houseplants in your home, same thing. You also need to consider your surroundings when it comes to sunlight. So, if you have existing plant material that could possibly shade the plant that you have. Or, for example, you have a tree, but it's not to its fullest potential, but eventually it will. It could be blocking the sun from your plant someday. So, not only on your property, but your neighbor's property. So, if they have their house or shed garage or trees in general that could be blocking the light for you at some point in the day, you really want to pay attention to that. So, sometimes it's good to watch the sunlight as it goes throughout the day and see where it's at and how it's affecting your yard specifically. The next one is moisture. So, some plants can actually handle drought tolerant conditions, but when you try to plant that plant in somewhere that has a little bit higher moisture, it might not survive because that's not what it's used to. So, A good indication of whether or not you have high moisture in your yard is after it rains, checking your yard to see if there's any standing water. If there's really not any standing water, it's probably a good sign and you won't have to really focus on that as much. You also need to consider the accessibility for a hose or supplemental moisture until your plants get established. So even if you get drought tolerant plants, usually within the first year of planting, you're still going to have to water decently consistently versus the next year, the second year, you probably won't have to water. Maybe in an extreme drought you'll have to water, but that would be it. So, something to consider. Some people around here do soaker hoses. That way they're not wasting water and it's watering exactly what it needs to, but I'll go into a little bit more detail in the second one, second podcast there. Then my last point was understand what you like in a landscape. So this is the fun part of the decision. So once you understand your moisture, your sunlight, and you're really considering all of the t- potential things that you might need to consider in your landscape, really focus on what colors you like. What kind of flowers do you like? Do you like more of a unique color foliage? Do you want the year-round interest with evergreens? Are you more interested in that uniform style or do you like an asymmetrical design? All things to really think about if For example, if you need a simple design, if you need that low maintenance because you don't have time for it, but you want that curb appeal, that's all things to really consider and just have fun with it. If that just sounds super stressful to you, I get it. Then instead, what you do is you pick out like 20 things you like and then either talk to a garden center or do your research online and find out what actually works for you. So, that might be the easiest thing. So, like like when I was doing my sister's landscape, I had an idea of the space that she needed. Oh, space too. Forgot about that. You have to understand the amount of space you have as well. But I understood the space she had, the light she had. And then what I did factor in was moisture. But in the back corner of their lot, it holds a lot of moisture. And we had to kind of experiment with plant material back there a bit. And we haven't fully gotten it. But we will. But what I did for them was... I sent them a bunch of my suggestions. They tell me yay or nay. Most of them were nay because the two of them don't agree on a ton. Um, My brother-in-law liked a lot of color. That's what he grew up with, with his parents' landscape. They always had flowers growing everywhere. It was beautiful. And then me and my sister grew up with a very manicured landscape. My dad was like on top of it and there were certain things blooming at certain times kind of thing. So, very uniform, and that is what my sister wanted and was kind of used to. So, I had to marry the two, and I had to make sure things were blooming at different times, and if they were blooming, if the contrast colors were good together, but that might not be you. You might like everything blooming together at once, doesn't matter. You might like every color in the rainbow together. You might like no colors, and you just want all green or just foliage in general. It's totally up to you. That's the fun part, and that's when you can make those decisions. So that's a little bit about the different types of plants and how you would choose the plants you need for your landscape. So let's get into the actual plants. Very high level, but let's get into it. So honestly, I could talk for hours about plants. My sister can contest to this. Walking down the street, I'll point at things. I'm like, oh my God, that plant. And then she's like, oh my God. Okay, so... We're just going to go very high level on this. So in the blog, I posted a little bit more detail on just names of plants, mostly from what I learned working at Breezy Hill, but also shopping around. It's a lot of the same stuff. There's only a couple different varying things. There's not like a rare shrub that you can only find in one part of the world. That's not how it works with landscape plants. So it's pretty uniform. From different garden centers, some garden centers might have slightly different varieties. For example, peonies have a ton of different varieties out there, and when you go to Steins, they might have ten. You go to Breezy Hill, they might have three. But you know, it just depends on your the amount of money you want to spend, and it depends on the style you want. So I think it's easier to pick landscape plants than try to find all the different varieties of house plants that people collect. So let's go into trees. A bit. So I separated trees into shade trees, ornamental flowering trees, fruiting, and evergreen trees. There is deciduous, which means all the leaves drop off in winter, and then there's evergreen, which means they stay green all season long, not all season long, all year long. So some deciduous shade trees specifically. Obviously, maples are a very popular one around here. Specifically, there is a variety called autumn blaze maple that was one of the most requested ones in the garden center, but there are also newer cultivars like the red point maple that have come up recently that are really pretty too. Otherwise, October glory is more of an orangey one, and then there are sugar maples like fall fiesta green mountain that have more of that yellowy orange color as well. Your autumn blaze October Glory and Red Point are faster growing maples versus your Fall Fiesta Green Mountain sugar maples. Sugar maples in general are slower growers. So those are maples. So the next one is Linden. I just listed a couple of varieties. We only sold a few of them at the Garden Center, but there are Green Spire and sterling silver lindens. The nursery just didn't have a whole lot of stock of those. They had a lot of the maples because that was more requested. The next one is oaks. That was a bit more requested than lindens. So, there are a lot of different oaks out there. Different forms the trees have as well, but a couple varieties just to name them are northern red oak, white oak, swamp white oak, chinkapin oak, and bur oak. All good things. The next one is birch, which people love birch but they do need a little bit more moisture and if they don't get the right amount of moisture they're not happy so there's river birch which is obviously a very common one and then white spire birch which has more of the white trunk to it and then we in the last few years had one called river frost birch we ordered in from a local nursery that had a darker foliage on it very very pretty had more of the river birch bark but dark foliage The next one is Elm, and I know some people are scared to get Elm because of the Dutch Elm disease, but you have to understand there are varieties that are susceptible to it, and then there's varieties that do not get it. So we sold the ones that obviously did not get it. So there's Accolade, Frontier, Valley Forge, just to name a few. All of those are Elm varieties. Very, very pretty shade trees to have at home. And then there's some more unique ones that I'm just going to kind of list because going into detail, I didn't sell a ton of these, but it was if people were looking for something different, typically they went for any of these. So tulip tree blooms very pretty. Common hackberry, Ohio buckeye, Kentucky coffee tree, shagbark hickory, autumn gold ginkgo. There are other ginkgo varieties out there, but ginkgo leaves are so pretty. Northern catalpa, which we had low inventory of the last few years of these, but these are epic. The size of the leaves are like the size of my face, and they bloom giant white flowers in spring, although their seed pods are like, you know, a mile long and they're really dark, like dark, dark brown, almost black. So, not exactly the best thing to have in your yard, but still a very pretty tree. American Hornbeam, American Hop Hornbeam, Shade Master Honey Locust. Honey locusts in general are a great tree if you need kind of dappled shade, not full, full shade. They get huge, but because the leaves are so small, they don't necessarily shade as thick as a maple wood, for example. We had Dawn Redwood, such a cool tree. We also had Shawnee Brave Bald Cypress. We had Bald Cypress in general as well, but Shawnee Brave was the one variety that we kept getting in the most. And then we also had niobe weeping willow or weeping willows in general we had. Those were very highly requested and we could not keep up with inventory on those. So those are all examples of some deciduous shade trees. So let's jump into ornamental flowering trees. There are a lot of these too. And on some level, some of these are shrubs turned into trees, but I'll get to that in a second. So there are magnolia Surprisingly, magnolias do survive around here. The ones down south have the giant leaves to them versus the ones up here don't have as big of leaves and the flowers aren't as big typically, but they're still magnolias and they're very pretty. The merrill magnolia and the saucer magnolia get pretty big, but there are smaller ornamental ones that stay a lot shorter called royal star, jane magnolia, and magnolia. There's a lot out there, but those are the the solid three that Breezy always had. And then you can get into crab apples, which were also one of the most popular types of trees. I always had issues with them. Customers always had issues with these. I That wasn't the first tree I ever recommended, but they are really pretty when they flower, but they tend to have a couple disease problems that if you don't maintain, the foliage will just drop off way sooner than it needs to. So ask your local garden center about it before you buy those. But they are very, very pretty when they bloom. So my favorite was a Luisa weeping crab apple. It was just such a unique branch shape and it wasn't just like a plain lollipop. <laughs> but then you have other ones like Royal Raindrops, Sargent, which is a smaller variety. Adirondack looks like, um, It almost looks like an umbrella that went inside out that's the shape of an adirondack crab apple and then there's coral burst which is actually a really pretty corally color it's one of the only crab apples that we sold that had that color specifically and then you get into kind of the the general ones that don't have a ton of variety so cleveland select pear there's also bartlett pear out there they're very similar i do know once you get down south farther they are invasive so just watch out for that depending on where you are before you buy them so eastern redbud is like on the edge of hardiness zone where we are going down south a little bit they survive better so putting it in kind of a protected more of an understory space is best for eastern redbud there's also a weeping redbud as well which is really pretty different foliage type the next one is called flame aimer maple it is regular maple leaves but it's just a lot smaller it only gets about 20 feet tall and wide and the seeds turn this really dark red. So, it's very, very pretty. Fort McNair horse chestnut is one of the plants I will have in my yard someday. It is so pretty, I can't handle it. (laughs) So, Fort McNair horse chestnut has almost like a hydrangea cluster flower with the size but on a tree and i know there's horse chestnut that have white flowers but the fort mcnair one specifically has pink flowers it's so pretty i love it anyway off my snowbox. the next one is ivory silk lilac tree so a japanese lilac in general is what they're typically called if you look them up Breezy Hill had ivory silk and a couple other different types of Japanese lilacs, but these are early summer blooming lilac trees that get upwards of 20-25 feet. Really pretty. Cornelian cherry dogwood, pagoda dogwood, more of a small ornamental tree than it is known for flowering, but they do flower a little bit pagoda dogwood has a a really pretty white flower autumn brilliant serviceberry has like a triple threat going on so it has a white bloom in spring has nice dense foliage throughout the season Then it gets berries, so birds love it, and then it has red foliage in fall, so it's like a triple threat. I always recommend that. It comes in like the shrub form, so like the multi-stem is what we call it, or the tree form, so it has that one trunk and then it has all the branches at top. It came in both forms. Common witch hazel is another one. Witch hazel in general, depending on which one you get, it either blooms in spring or fall. I believe the common bloomed in spring and it had yellow blooms, but Don't hold me to that. There are also weeping cherry trees. So, Ty just got one of those. Typically, they're going to be in pink or white. And I have seen dwarf weeping cherry. So, they're grafted, which means that there's only this like finite amount of trunk that this tree is going to grow, but the actual weeping part will keep growing. So, it's a really good accent piece if you wanted something like that. Pretty small, but still in tree form. So, other ones that are similar to that are hydrangea trees. So, almost, well, a lot of the varieties of hydrangea in the shrub form you can find in the tree form as well. Other ones, actually, that are similar to the hydrangea tree are nine-bark tree and dwarf Korean lilac tree. So, we sold a ton of the dwarf Korean lilac trees. They're like a giant lollipop, basically, and Breezy was known for having this huge one planted out in the front of their property, and it just blooms in spring like a normal lilac does but it's just a really really cool unique plant the nine bark tree is literally the same thing just in it's a nine bark (laughs) then there's seven sons flowering tree a lot of people didn't buy these but i just thought they were gorgeous it's more of a multi-stem looking tree a little bit more unique There's Kusa dogwood, which is actually semi-hardy. We had one planted at the garden center and it didn't survive one bad winter, but it does bloom. There are some of the Kusa dogwood varieties, I believe, that are variegated as well. Very pretty. And then one of the more requested trees are Japanese maples, which are also gorgeous. Don't get me wrong, but they're semi-hardy. So, you have to plant it in a very protected area. In winter, if you have it in a space that doesn't get a ton of wind and doesn't get a ton of cold damage to it, it should be okay. But if you're traveling south, it's going to get more hardy as you go. So, it's pro- it, it's on zone five hardy, but most of the time six is where it's kind of protected. Okay, so fruiting trees are not that many. We have apples, plums, pears, cherries, all things that you can grow in tree form around here. You also have um, espalier trees, which are basically combo trees. So espalier trees look like they're trained to grow in like a fence-like form. I don't know a better way to describe that, but if you look it up, you can see it. So, you could have different varieties of apple on the same tree. You could have a couple apple and a pear on the tree. It just depends on what the garden center is growing when you go look at them. We had a cup, a combination of those things. All right, and then evergreen trees aren't a ton, not as many as shade, but you got your spruce pine, arborvitae, juniper, and hemlock. So, spruces, for example. We had black hills, Norway, Serbian, fat albert spruce, and weeping Norway, but we also had other weeping ones, like we had a weeping black hill spruce as well. So a lot of people wanted Colorado spruce, but those do have their own set of issues at this point, And no one is recommending buying one of those. It's a disease that spreads and spreads fast. So there's really no point in getting it, but it's specific to that Colorado spruce. So if you're buying the black hills in the Norway, Serbian, any of those, you're good to go. The pines, we have Vanderwolf limber, Austrian, Eastern white pine. Some pines were having a couple of issues. I couldn't remember what variety it was, but I do remember the ones that I just listed weren't having as many issues. I believe it was like the scotch pines that were having problems, which weren't as popular, obviously. People like more of that dense foliage and pines don't have as dense a foliage. Arborvitaes, the most popular evergreen tree. My gosh, you should see how many we sold. We could not keep them in stock. If we didn't buy them, wholesale took them. So it's just nuts. So just a few varieties. Green Giant, Dark Green, Techni, Holmstrup, De spire, Emerald Green. These are your privacy trees that people plant like a big giant line of them along their property. So to me, not the prettiest things, but they do the job. And then the next one is juniper. We didn't really have these B&B or from the nursery. We bought them in or we grew them up in the container area. So, we had blue point and skyrocket and we had a couple more, but those are a couple just different varieties. And then Canadian hemlock wasn't really a popular tree either. It's more of an understory tree. It prefers to be in a little bit more shade, which is kind of hard to find with evergreen. So, That was the reason people would buy the hemlock is because they had a slightly shaded place that they need to put something. So that is trees. And I know that's a lot of information and that's high level. (laughs) Okay, let's jump into shrubs. So shrubs, I kind of broke it down into foliage-focused deciduous, foliage-focused evergreen, and then flowering. And this doesn't even encompass half of them but for the foliage focused deciduous most of these do bloom actually but they're really purchased for what their foliage looks like so barberry is one i had these growing up and they were just a pain to trim because they have thorns but people really like them because of their dark foliage as long as you have a full sun area to put these in it will keep that color so crimson pygmy golden orange rocket are all varieties dwarf burning bush is very very popular because it has that really bright crazy red fall color on a super harsh winter these could die in our area but if there's cultivars that are a little bit more hardy and you can find those grab those but just like the plain dwarf burning bush could be semi hardy here it could survive for 15 years and all of a sudden one really bad winter could just wipe it out we actually had that happen in the nursery that i worked at so just something to consider. But if you're like in zone six, you're probably good to go. So um, the next one is chokeberry, which a lot of people don't realize that's an option, but they actually get really pretty fall color. Maybe not as red as that burning bush, but they still do. And they have a really pretty red berry or blackberry. So it's black chokeberry and red chokeberry are options. So that's a good option as well. Another foliage based plant is aster. It's spelled like cotton Easter. <laughs> And I had the hardest time pronouncing it when I first started the garden center. But the specific ones that we have are Cranberry, Hesse, and peaking aster. All different, totally different ways that this plant grows. So peaking aster is more of a hedge form, super upright. Hesse Cotoneaster super low to the ground, almost like a shrub ground cover. And Cranberry ester is very similar, just a little bit larger leaves and a little bit a little bit larger than the Hesse. So, that's another one. I think it's really ugly. I think the Hesse and Cranberry Cotoneaster are really ugly, but some people like that look. Very unique. Reminds me of Hansel and Gretel's yard, so I would never put it in my house, but hey, that's me. You do you, man. (laughs) The next one is dogwood. People underestimate these things. Red twig dogwood is beautiful in the winter and totally contrasts against all the snow we get around here so some varieties are baileys burgesson compact arctic fire are all red twig and then there's varieties like ivory halo that have a variegated leaf to them and i believe the twig is red i can't remember anymore believe it is there are yellow twig dogwood Typically, they're categorized as just that yellow twig dogwood. So, not only could you possibly get the red, you could get the yellow, really pretty. And then there's just gray dogwood. So, if you need a really thick shrub that can handle a lot of moisture, you just want it to sit there and you don't care what it looks like in winter, gray dogwood is your man. The next one is super unique. It's called elderberry. It has a very Japanese maple look to it, but it's heartier doesn't come in as much of a red foliage color but the black lace elderberry is really cool it has almost like a gray foliage and then the lemony lace has more of a yellowy green color so elderberry is another one euonymus which actually is the latin name for the burning bush as well but euonymus in general is categorized as more of a lower spreading shrub so Two varieties we've carried before Emerald Gaiety and Emerald and Gold, but I do know that they change their varieties around a bit. I think like Moon Shadow was one. I can't remember the name. I think it was something like that. But that's another one. Honeysuckle is another foliage-based ones. Typically, they do bloom with yellow, tiny little yellow flowers. But the point is the foliage, so they become. They kind of go through phases of colors, so there's a Kodiak black and Kodiak red that's really popular that are specific variety names, and they have a black or red foliage in spring. They kind of level out to a green, and then they hit that dark red again in fall, so kind of nice to have that foliage change, and they do get pretty large, and they spread a bit, so they kind of fill out an area really nice. The next one is nine bark. It was a tree option in the ornamental section, but it is just a regular shrub too. So, popular ones are Diablo and Summer Wine. Those get pretty big and they are really fast growers. So, some people like the smaller varieties like little Devil, little Devil and Fine Wine. There are a little bit more amber colored or coppery colored. One's called Coppertina and Amber Jubilee. and there's just a ton of options out there that you could get. The next plant is smokebush, which I am privy to. I love these. I will have this in my landscape someday, whether Peter likes it or not. There are larger growing varieties that almost look like small trees, and it's called royal purple is the main variety people have typically. And then there are tiny varieties called winecraft or velvetini that only get about three or four feet, much more manageable than your 10, 12 feet. And then the last one is sumac. You have to be careful with these because... They are a little bit invasive acting. In some places they are invasive. So there is tiger eye, which is the most popular one. It has a range of yellow, orange, and red to like yellowy green foliage. And in fall, it has that really more of a dark red foliage. We have staghorn, which is just plain green, but does turn red in fall. And then there's a variety called grolo sumac, which is Kind of like a shrub ground cover, super drought tolerant that gets bright orange in fall. So those are foliage-focused deciduous shrubs. The evergreen ones, really not a ton. There's arborvitae, boxwood, holly, juniper, spruce. But specifically, the only spruce that I've really seen is bird's nest spruce. And there might be like a couple others out there. But bird's nest spruce is really the only one that people are ever looking for. And something called yew's. So arborvitae there's one called mr bowling ball or woodward and they're basically just round arborvitaes instead of upright boxwood are probably the most popular one out there common varieties green gem chicagoland green velvet green mountain between green velvet chicagoland green gem there's not a huge difference they're all round green gem has a slightly smaller leaf I couldn't tell you the difference between Chicagoland and green velvet. And there were like five other varieties of them that like, if it wasn't labeled, we just didn't know because they all looked very similar. Green Mountain is an upright form. So we knew that one. (laughs) There are hollies. It's like I was named the correct name as a child because hello, I love plants. Um, But there are hollies. So the varieties that I have seen are China Girl, China Boy. There's one called Blue Prince, Blue Princess, and then there's also one called Blue Twins, which is a variety that combines the girl and boy hollies. So there's like a girl, boy holly that when you combine them, they produce berries. So that's just a question to ask if you are considering getting these in the future. Junipers are usually slightly lower growing when it comes to the shrub part. So Blue Sergeant, Green Sergeant, Sea Green, Hughes, calorie Carpet, Callies, so, all of those are a little bit shorter growing and kind of spreading. Bird's nest spruce literally looks like a bird's nest. I'm not going to explain it anymore. <laughs> and then yews are what every suburban home was lined with in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My God, it's the most boring shrub ever. <laughs> but it does the job. If you like to line your house with like lights in the winter for Christmas these are your guy so dark green capitata, taunton and hicks are all really good options for that okay now let's get to the fun flowering ones so obviously there are a ton of different options for flowering and even some of the foliage focused deciduous shrubs i listed do flower like the nine bark has a significant flower usually a, a white flower the smoke bush the the flowers is literally why it's called smoke bush so those are just more focused on foliage versus these plants I'm about to talk about are literally bought for their flower. So I'm going to talk about them in the order that they flower from spring to fall. So azalea are somewhat semi hardy here. Same with rhododendron. They are broadleaf evergreens, so they do keep their leaves up in winter and they don't completely die back. So the varieties to look out for are Karen azalea. And there are a variety of azalea called the lights variety. So lemon lights, orchid lights that are actually hardier here. So those are ones to look out for. And then there is a rhododendron called PJM rhododendron. That is specifically the one that's being sold around here because it is a cultivar that is more hardy than other ones. Next, you have forsythia, which if in early, early spring, if you just see a giant yellow shrub, that's what that is. <laughs> So, there are varieties like Bronx, Comson, and New Hampshire that are all different, varying in sizes, but all have that yellow uh, yellow flower. The next one is Wygella, which some people call it other things as well. It doesn't matter. It's whatever you want to call it. Typically, you're going to find them in darker colored foliage and that's why people are getting them or a variegated variety. So, wine and roses and midnight wine are really dark colored foliage, but they have either like a fuchsia or a pink flower to them, trumpet flower in spring. And then once you trim them back after they flower, they bloom again, but like half as much in summer. You also have ones like sonic bloom. Sonic bloom has red pink and white and then red prince is a variety that's just a green foliage with a bright red flower that gets pretty big compared to the other ones so more of the flower and the filler for those and then my monet is a specific variety that has variegation of white pink and green and stays super short that people like next are lilacs lilacs range in size color everything when it comes to flowers so dwarf korean and miss kim lilac along with bloomerang were probably the top three ones we sold at the garden center based on the inventory that we had bloomerang was a double bloomer so it blooms in spring but it blooms again in summer and then dwarf korean and miss kim are shorter varieties of lilac so they only get about five or six feet and then the next shortest variety was called red pixie which has a pink flower instead of purple because usually when you think of lilacs you think of purple but they do come in several different colors my personal favorite was one called called charles jolly it was really really bright purple but it also had like almost a variegated flower had like a stripe to it it was really cool and then another really popular one was Sensation. So, we ended up ordering those in and we sold out of them in like one weekend. So, that's a very popular one too. The viburnum is the next one. I debated on putting this in the foliage one, but I know people would rather have them for the flower and their berries. So, these have a huge range in leaf type. So, Arrowwood, Korean Spice, Mohican Blue Muffin, Little Diddy are all varieties of viburnum and they all range significantly in what the leaf looks like, the color, the shape, and the texture. Most of the flowers are going to be pretty similar. The Korean Spice in general has more of a fragrant flower versus the Arrowwood Mohican Blue Muffin don't have as fragrant of a flower, but mostly all white flowers. And the Little ditty is known for staying super short, like two feet max. So that's just kind of a good variety of the different types of Viburnum. One of my favorite shrubs is deutzia. These are super low-growing, spring-blooming shrubs, and they kind of just stay low and spread. Varieties are Cherry Blossom, Nico, and Chardonnay Pearls just to name a few. Cherry blossom blooms pink, Nico's a white blooming one, and Chardonnay pearls actually has a white bloom, but the foliage is a little yellow to it. The next one was Spirea, which are very, very, very common on the same level as like how people planted yews in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Spirea were a total... 70s 2000 plant (laughs) so these are still really popular because they're so hardy and trusted around here and it's almost like they're constantly booming from early spring summer and they bloom kind of again in the fall as well so gold flame magic carpet anthony water shirabana renaissance are all different varieties of spirea and they kind of range in foliage color flower and overall size too The next one is called Summer Sweet, which is a personal favorite of mine as well. A few varieties are Ruby Spice, Hummingbird, 16 Candles, but they basically have a very upright flower. trying to think of what to compare it to. Like a giant pipe cleaner (laughs) is what they kind of look like, maybe about three, four inches long, maybe about three inches long, and they either come in a white or a pink, and they are pretty fragrant, almost like a lilac when they are blooming. So, they're super fragrant and they bloom about at the beginning of summer, middle of summer. So, really fun shrub as well. One that's kind of similar to it is called Sweet Spire. Sweet Spire has a similar pipe cleaner flower not so upright more hangs and it's only white but the foliage gets super dark red like burning bush red in fall that's why people like to buy that one the next one is rose of sharon which is semi hardy here but people do still like them and they still do survive around here I remember on Highway 50 in Kenosha, there was a dog kennel place that had a line of probably like 20 of them. And we had a winter where it was like negative 20 for like a salad four days in a row. And that following spring, like half that line was just gone. (laughs) So that's an example of just like a really bad winter could wipe those out. But typically you're going to find these in tons of different colors And they come in tree form as well, but most of the time people are buying them in shrub form. The most common ones are like blue chiffon, white chiffon, but they also have more unique varieties that are coming out called like Hawaii or Tahiti because they have multiple different tropical flowers to them. The Latin name for Rosa Sharon is hibiscus, so sometimes that can be confusing because there is tropical hibiscus, perennial hibiscus, and the shrub version, which is Rosa Sharon. I did do a podcast on those if you want to listen to it too. The next one are roses, not a ton to talk about because there's like too much to talk about for roses. So, the most common one we sold are called Knockout Roses and then the next one is called Drift Rose, but there were varieties called At Last or Oh So Easy that were newer cultivars to us that we sold, Nearly Wild Carefree Wonder or all different ones. Purple Pavement was probably one of the more hardy roses that we sold, so there's tons of varieties out there. David Austin is a type of rose that are super expensive, but like, god dang, the flower is so pretty, so there's tons out there. If you haven't seen David Austin flowers, you should go look at them. They're so expensive, though. Um, The next one and the last one for the flowering shrubs for me is Hydrangeas, which You can't go wrong with these, there are so many different varieties out there. So just to name a few, Quickfire, Vanilla Strawberry, Bobo, Limelight, Tough Stuff, Endless Summer, Annabelle Oak Leaf, and then there's Climbing Hydrangea too. So the Endless Summer are the ones that you see in the garden center that have those huge blooms that are like bright blue, bright pink, bright purple, and then you get it home and it doesn't bloom at all. that's your endless summer hydrangea. So if you have high hopes for those, I would just advise it maybe thinking twice. Endless summer work, garden centers will tell you endless summer hydrangeas will work in shadier environments, but really they need part sun in order to possibly bloom the nurseries grow them in full sun and that's how they get them to bloom and they fertilize the crap out of them. So it's just all things to think about. If you're not wanting to do the maintenance on it, go with something like a quick fire or vanilla strawberry, limelight, any of those. So Endless Summer is hydrangea macrophylla versus the other ones are hydrangea panicle. The panicle ones are the ones that are easier to bloom and will consistently bloom year to year. Annabelle does that too. I should probably mention that. The Annabelle, Invincible, any of those varieties that are a little bit more shade loving do bloom consistently, but it's the endless summer. The hydrangea macrophylla, or macrophylla, whatever you want to call it, does have a tougher time blooming. Ooh, this is a long podcast, guys. Sorry, I'm almost done. <laughs> so the let's move on to perennials. That one's a little bit shorter than the rest of what we just went over. Okay, so perennials are are wonderful because you can add a ton of color and a ton of interest and really good fillers with these so i just picked spring summer and fall interest and foliage focused again so for spring interest there's ground covers like ajuga or creeping phlox that work really well ajuga is a purple blooming one creeping phlox comes in a ton of colors there is iris that blooms in spring. Iris does spread, so keep that in mind. Not a ton, but it, it doesn't stop. <laughs> um, peonies also bloom in spring. Tons of different colors. They grow super fast, so keep that in mind, too. Lupine, one of my favorites. They have like a giant conical-shaped flower, and you should look up lupine fields. Oh, my God, is it Beautiful. There is Dianthus, which is super easy to grow. It's literally like, it looks like a little mound of grass with flowers on top of it. And when it's done blooming and mostly spent, you literally just take the top of the flowers, cut them all off, and then they'll bloom again. The next one is Baptisia, which I've talked about before. It's spring blooming. I guess beginning of summer blooming more than spring, but still an early bloomer and it shoots up real fast. So, that's a really fun one as well. Penstemon is another one. Typically, this one is known for having a dark red foliage, and then it pops up with either purple or white flowers. The next one is Bleeding Heart. Bleeding Heart can get pretty big. Same as Baptisia, really three, four feet tall and wide over time. And Bleeding Heart can come in More of a reddish color bloom, pinkish color bloom, or white. And the reason they look like bleeding hearts is because it looks, the flowers look like a literal heart. If you haven't seen them, you should look them up. Kind of look kind of creepy, but like in a good way. The next one are poppies. So poppies do bloom in spring and they are hardy here. So you can plant them. They range in colors. In the ones at the garden center I've seen, they've they've been sold as like a mix of colors, but also I've seen them in pinks and oranges as well. The next one, I feel like people consider, don't really consider that often because they don't hear about it. It's called a GM. Super delicate flowers, really tiny, some, a huge range of colors from like pinks, reds, yellows, oranges, corals, really, really, really pretty flowers. It's actually my coworker, Marianne's, one of her favorite flowers. So that's a really fun one too. Amsonia is another spring, almost early summer bloomer as well. And it blooms Blue, which is very different from anything you really find. Alright, the next section is summer interest. So you have your cone flower that should be pretty self-explanatory. There's tons of colors out there. Coreopsis comes in a couple different kind of shapes, but does bloom consistently through the summer and is pretty easy to maintain. Allium, this is a bulb too, but in a different form. So allium perennial-wise does bloom. For a very long time in the summer and is pretty pretty hardy so those are great astilbe depending on the variety blooms at slightly different times throughout the summer but astilbe are really fun shade loving plants they have a conical shaped flower to them as well daylilies my god there's hundreds of daylily varieties out there tons of colors tons of sizes The most popular one is your standard landscape Stella de Oro daylily. That is just a yellow daylily that consistently keeps re-blooming. So, there's that. There is geranium. There are lower growing geraniums and taller geraniums, but either way, they bloom in early summer into like mid-summer as well. Blanket flowers are really, really pretty and daisies, more like shasta daisies, are also really pretty in summer into fall blooming. Garden phlox are also very pretty. More of a late summer bloomer. Liatris is one of those plants that if you're trying to attract butterflies, there you go. Super unique plant and blooms in the summer. There's catmint, which is a huge plant that attracts bees. So if you're looking for something to replace lavender, because some some lavender varieties are semi-hardy here, catmint, it looks very similar to it. There is bee balm which is very fragrant. Not my favorite plant in the world. Gets powdery mildew pretty quickly. We always had problems with that at the garden center. So not my favorite based on that, but it is a very fragrant flower and it is very pretty. There is butterfly weed which is one of the only flowers besides poppies that gets bright orange. There's salvia which honestly it comes in a annual form too, but this is the perennial form. Looks very similar to something called Veronica, which also blooms in the summer, just slightly different. There is Cardinal Flower, which is a huge hummingbird attractant, if you would want that, and it's bright red flowers. Campanula, which is more of a lower growing plant, very pretty. Hibiscus, the perennial hibiscus I was talking about literally looks like a tropical plant, but it's not, it's perennial. And these tend to come back pretty late in the season, so if you're not seeing it pop up until June, totally normal. There is clematis, which is a vining plant, and they come in tons of different colors. There's bellflowers, which are also very pretty, pretty tall growing. There's agastache. Some people call this different. I call it agastache. One of my favorite perennials, Grow grows pretty tall. It gets around three, four feet tall and has huge purple blooms on it. There's obviously lavender. There are varieties called phenomenal and munstead lavender that are hardy here, but they are kind of on the edge to me. I haven't had huge success with them. And then another one is called yarrow. One of the perennials I hate the most out of everything. <laughs> The color of the flower fades when it's in the sun, but the stupid plant needs to be in full sun, and it's a drought-tolerant plant. So, I just don't understand why the yarrow hasn't, like, advanced itself in the world. And maybe it's just the the actual breeding of it that hasn't worked out very well, but I just, I'm partial to those. I do not like those, so... (laughs) anyways fall interest coneflower again does love the fall there is russian sage which i think is beautiful purple flowers there's ligularia which is more of a moisture loving plant and it is known for its its big giant leaves too but it has a really pretty yellow stalk that comes up with blooms on it there's a stillbe again depending on the year or depending on the variety comes in summer or fall There's aster, which do come in annual form as well, really pretty, few different colors, purple, pink, white. There's black-eyed Susan, which is a yellow flower with the black center, your typical black-eyed Susan. Ornamental grasses I put in here simply because when they quote-unquote bloom, that's in fall or they add that extra interest to them. Sedum or stonecrop is also a fall interest plant as well. Clematis is also fall interest, so obviously depending on the variety you get. And then there is a plant that's actually spring interest and summer interest, but depending on the variety, it's called anemone. It's literally my favorite perennial. It comes in white or pink typically. Uh, It's not like the anemone you get with cut flowers. It's not those big giant flowers. It's pretty small, but they're very, very pretty and delicate. So those are fall interest plants. The foliage-focused ones are obviously hostas. Coral bells are really fun. People like to use those. In my experience, they like more sun than they do shade, even though they're advertised as shade plants. There is ferns, ladies' mantle, which does bloom a yellow flower in the summer, but mostly more of a ground cover type thing. And then oral mantle grasses, 90% of the year, they're more of a foliage-focused plant. There's ground cover like pachysandra and vinca. Vinca does flower throughout the year, but it's more of a ground cover that spreads. So, those are the perennials I have listed. So, let's just briefly talk about annuals, tropicals and bulbs then. So, there are a ton of different annuals out there, just like there are a ton of different perennials, but more of the common ones are alyssum, begonia, calibrachoa, Celosia, Chrysanthemum in fall, Cosmos, Dahlia, Geranium, Gerber Daisy, Impatient, Lobelia, Marigolds, Ornamental Kale and Ornamental Grasses, the kale typically in fall, uh, Pansies in spring or fall, Petunias for sure, Portolaca is one of my favorite. There's also Salvia, Snapdragons, Sweet Potato Vine, and Zinnia, the list goes on. Those are just a few of the varieties, but those are really for your annual pots and you can really dress up a landscape with those as well. So, tropicals, as you know, are a very, very extensive list, but the most common ones that are used in planters and landscapes are bougainvillea, which is hard to keep alive through winter. You don't see a lot of houseplant collectors having these, but it is very pretty and they typically have thorns on them, so watch out for that. There's canna lily, which is a very easy grower in the summer, but is a little bit more difficult to have inside. They die back a lot, so it's not the most attractive thing. There's cordyline, which is very, very pretty as well. Really fun foliage. Diplodina and mandavia, which are very similar looking. A vining plant that grows like crazy through the season. Diplodina comes usually in yellow, whereas mandavia can come in more of a colorful pink, red, coral, or white, depending on the variety you get. There is elephant ear, obviously, so caladium, alacasia, calacasia are all very good options for planters or in your landscape. Hibiscus, and by hibiscus, I mean tropical hibiscus, brings in so much color because they just consistently blooms and it's beautiful throughout the summertime. Lantana is a really good one to have as well. It has tons of color to it. I have had a hard time keeping it alive as a houseplant person. It needs a lot of moisture and it needs a ton of sun to bloom. And then palms are really popular as well. To me, I've always struggled with, I only have one majesty palm and it's always riddled with spider mites and a year later, it's still having issues. So I know that's a lack of moisture and a lack of proper environment things, but I don't want to put it. In my humidifier area, because then I don't want to like infest the rest of my plants. So it's currently outside, and it's liking it. it's already growing a new stem. So palms are another good tropical. So for bulbs in general, like I said, there are plant in spring summer blooming, and then there's plant in fall spring blooming. So the summer blooming ones that you'll be planting in spring are. Um, Some people have the begonia, but most of the time it's caladium, callioli, dahlia, elephant ears in general, and gladiolas. And then in fall, you have allium, crocus, daffodil, hyacinth, some iris, some ornamental lilies, peonies, and tulips are all good examples of those. So that is something to look for in the early part of the season and the late part of the season for that extra bit of flowers so in when you're planting them in fall for spring blooming typically those bloom they're one of the first things to bloom allium is a little later but daffodils and hyacinth are definitely one of the first bloomers so that's always really good to have right out of the get-go from spring and it just makes you happier to have those flowers so that is all about landscape plants part one so hopefully you enjoyed that it wasn't too overwhelming In part two, I'll go into a bit more detail about picking out the plants and the specific environments that people have them in. So that's landscape plants and design part one. Thanks for listening to episode 34 of Houseplant Homebody all about landscape design and plants part one. Don't forget to check out the blog post that corresponds with this podcast. If you go to houseplant-homebody.com and go to the blog tab, you'll find it there. Also, there are links to Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC on my website. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast and make sure you're doing all of the commenting, liking, sharing, and subscribing to the podcast, my blog, and social media posts. I love to hear from all of you and what you've learned through your own experience or through this podcast. And you can also help support your favorite podcast and blog by joining me on Patreon for Early access to podcasts, exclusive content, and exclusive podcasts. So, your support means everything to me, and I am very excited to keep bringing you plant bios and information. And don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for more podcasts and corresponding blog posts. From one houseplant homebody to another. See you next time. Hello, still here, as usual. So, I know this was a really long podcast. I did not mean for it to be that long, but it ended up being that long. Um, So, a few random things. Obviously, I talked about the next podcast, which it won't be the next podcast, but the next landscape podcast will be the part two, and I'll go into a lot more detail about problems and just situations you run into in your landscape that you need to figure out good solutions for. I'll just go into a bit more of that and a bit more design detail couple other random things is that my merchandise is moving along a bit. My friend Brittany was able to get some cute campfire mugs printed with Houseplant Homebody and my logo on them. So I'm very excited about that. Um, And I am still working on getting some custom design clothing and accessories. So I'm going to work through that still. Not quite sure what direction I'm going with. Whether I'm trying trying to work with a local printer or I have a friend that prints her own stuff as well. So I will see what I end up doing, but I'm trying to get there. Very hectic over here in the life of Holly because of my golf outing, which is happening literally on Friday this week. And then um, obviously if you saw me on social media, my sister is pregnant, um, but she has a lot of issues with her pregnancy. So just trying to help her with that as much as I can. I was helping a lot more with the golf outing this year because of it. So On top of my job being chaotic and um, people quitting, training people, taking over other positions. So, just so crazy. So, I'm trying to keep up with houseplant homebody as much as I can. But as you know, it's not the only thing in my life at the moment. Someday, I will get to that point where houseplant homebody is my 100% focus, but I'm not there yet. So, someday. In other terms, my house or my mother-in-law's house, more specifically, I live with her, is like maxed out for plants. Oops. I've gotten like all of my wishlist plants for the year so far, so which is kind of crazy, but I did a lot of plant shopping with friends, especially when I was in Chicago. I got a lot of plants when I was there. So, I'm just trying to keep them all healthy and I'm focusing on that. So, that's going well. I have some pest issues right now. My Monstera has some spider mites, but it just kicked out three new leaves in just a couple weeks, so it's doing okay. I just have to keep maintaining the leaves. I have a Calathea medallion that is is riddled with spider mites, but I've been misting it every day on top of cleaning it, and it's actually been working, so I'm going to keep doing that as much as I can, and I have a Bird of Paradise that did have spider mites, but that was really easy to clean up, so I've been misting that as well, and it's been working out pretty good too. I also gained a maiden-haired fern, so wish me luck. I learned that you have to keep moisture in the saucer constantly for it to do okay. So that's what I'm going to do. So hopefully everyone is doing good. Hopefully you guys like this podcast a little bit, something different, but the next podcast will be another house plant and I'll take a break from the landscape plants and the general topic stuff. So we'll jump into another house plant next time and hope you guys have a good week and I will talk to you later. (laughs) Bye.